Well, we have a special and an unprecedented uh, privilege here this morning as, with a guest preacher to bring us a faithful and yet ancient word. Years ago, a prominent British minister, Martin Lloyd-Jones, came and was speaking at Princeton. And to the students and to those who were gathered, he said, most of you don't even know one of the greatest preachers America has ever had. And he was president of this institution. His name is Samuel Davies. Now, that name probably doesn't mean much to most of the people here any more than it did to many of the students that were gathered at Princeton that day. But Samuel Davies was known as the Apostle to Virginia. Born in 1723 in Newcastle, Delaware, he was trained in the tradition of the Log College, not at the Log College, but through one of their students in central Pennsylvania at Fags Manor Presbyterian Church, which incidentally is still in existence and part of the PCA. Trained there, he was the first person licensed that was not Anglican by the state of Virginia, came here to Williamsburg where he received a special dispensation where he was allowed to proclaim the gospel. And he faithfully began to do that, planting seven churches, overseeing the development of other ministers as the gospel developed throughout Virginia, not only here in Williamsburg, particularly through the Shenandoah Valley, where it became a seed for the gospel for the nation, where a number of ministers were, who were very prominent in the formation of the United States came to being. One other who was not a minister of the gospel but was greatly influenced by the preaching of Samuel Davies was a man whose name most of you will know. His name is Patrick Henry, who had the opportunity because his mother was a nonconformist, who means that she sat in a Presbyterian church and not the Anglican church, and had heard Samuel Davies preach. Patrick Henry, hearing the preaching of Samuel Davies, said that it was his passion, his clarity, and his sense of God's presence that shaped his own rhetoric as he would speak as God used him as one of the voices to bring about the United States through which he has blessed us and much of the world. And so this morning we invite Samuel Davies uh, to come and present a message that he presented on Christmas Day years ago. With such an introduction, it would be extremely difficult not to be intimidated. But I take comfort in the fact that we can all turn to Luke chapter 2. And beginning with verse 8, we can emulate our predecessors and be awed by the glory of God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning with verse 8 and continuing through to verse 15. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the brave wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. This is God's word. It is for our improvement. And now let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for thy word. We are most grateful to be able to be gathered together in this place to worship you as a community. And as you have given this word for our improvement, even so, Lord, we pray that it would improve us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our text for today is specifically Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men. What a happy night was this to the poor shepherds, though exposed to the damps and darkness of midnight and keeping their painful watches in the open field. An illustrious angel, clothed in light, which kindled midnight into noon, came upon them. And the glory of the Lord, that is, a bright light, the usual emblem of his presence, shone round about them. No wonder the poor shepherds were struck with horror and overwhelmed at the sight of so glorious a phenomenon. But when God strikes his people with terror, it is often an introduction to some signal blessing. And when they sometimes made sore afraid, like the shepherds, even with the displays of his glories. The first appearance even of the great deliverer may seem like that of a great destroyer. But he will at length make himself known as he is and allay the fears of his people. So the gentle angel cheers and supports the trembling shepherds. Fear not, says he. You need not tremble, but rejoice at my appearance. For behold, I bring you from heaven by order from its sovereign good tidings of great joy, the best that was ever published in mortal ears, not only to you, not only to a few private persons or families, not only to the Jewish nation, but good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, to Gentiles as well as Jews, to all nations, tribes, and languages, to kings and to subjects, to rich and poor, to free and bond. Therefore, let it circulate through the world and resound from shore to shore. And what is this news? It is this. For unto you is born this season in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto you mortals, unto you miserable sinners, is born a Savior, a Savior from sin and ruin, Christ the promised Messiah, anointed with the Holy Spirit and invested with the high office of mediator, Christ the Lord, the ruler and ruler of heaven and earth and universal nature. He is born, born, no longer represented by dark types and prophecies, but actually entered in the world, 
Born this day, the long-expected day is at length arrived. The prophecies are accomplished, and the fullness of time is come. Born in the city of David, in Bethlehem, though he be a person of such eminence, Christ the Lord is now a feeble infant. The son born and the child given, he is the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that we hear of in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The condescension of the angel and the joyful tidings he brought no doubt recovered the shepherds who were emboldened then to lift up their faces. And how was their joy heightened that they were chosen and appointed by heaven to be the first visitants to this newborn prince? This shall be a sign to you, said the angel, by which you may know this divine infant from others. What shall be the sign? Shall it be that they will find him in a palace, surrounded with all the grandeur and majesty of courts, lying in a bed of down and dressed in silks and gold and jewels? This might be expected if we consider the dignity of his person. It would be infinite condescension for him to be born even in such circumstances as these. But these are not the characteristics of the incarnate God. No, says the angel, this shall be a sign to you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. Astonishing. Who could expect the newborn son of God to be there? There, lying in straw, surrounded only with oxen and horses, and waited upon only by a feeble, solitary mother, far from home, among unkind strangers, who would not allow her room in the inn, even in her painful hour. In such circumstances of abasement did the Lord of glory enter our world. How bright a display of his love to the guilty sons of men. And no sooner had the angelic commander delivered his message than his fellow angels immediately joined in with one voice, filling all the air with their heavenly music, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to men. The language you will notice is abrupt, like that of a full heart. The sentences short, unconnected, and rapid, expressive of the ecstasy of their minds. Glory to God in the highest. This first article deservedly leads the song. It is of more importance in itself, in the estimate of angels, than even the salvation of men. Note that the first and chief cause of joy and praise from the birth of a Savior is this, that he shall bring glory to God. Through him as a proper medium, the divine perfections shall shine forth with new splendor. Through him, sinners shall be saved in a way that will advance the honor of the divine perfections in government. The wisdom, grace, and mercy of God are glorified in the contrivance of this scheme of redemption and making millions of miserable creatures happy forever. His power is glorified in carrying this scheme into execution in spite of all opposition. His justice is glorified in the atonement and satisfaction made for the sins of men by an incarnate deity 
and in the righteous punishment executed upon those that stubbornly reject this divine Savior and who therefore perish without excuse. Behold what wonders Jehovah performs in prosecution of this method of salvation. What wonders of pardoning mercy and sanctifying grace. What miracles of glory and blessedness does he form out of the dust and the polluted fragments of human nature. What monuments of his own glorious perfections does he erect through all the extensive regions of heaven. From these wondrous and wonderful works of his, the glory of his own name breaks forth upon the worlds of angels and men in one bright, unclouded season, which shall never be obscured in night, but grow more and more illustrious through the endless ages of eternity. Of this, the choir of angels was sensible, and therefore they shout aloud in ascriptions of glory to God. It was especially on this account they rejoiced at this great event, and all believers rejoice in it principally on this account too. Glory to God. Glory to God is the first note in the song of angels. And hallowed be thy name, that is, let thy name be sanctified or glorified, is the first petition in the prayer of men. The glory of God should always be nearest our hearts. To this, everything else should give way. And we should rejoice in other things and even in our own salvation as they tend to promote this. Such is the temper of every good man. His heart is enlarged and extended beyond the narrow limits of self. He has a generous, tender regard for the glory of the great God and rejoices in the way of salvation through Christ, not merely as it makes him happy, but especially as it advances and displays the divine honor. This is his temper. Self is, as it were, swallowed up in God. Is this also your song? Glory to God in the highest. In the highest, that is, in the highest strains. Let the songs of men and angels be raised to a higher key on this great occasion. The usual strains of praise are too low and languid to celebrate the birth of this illustrious prince. This is a more glorious event than ever has yet happened in heaven or earth, and therefore demands a new song more exalted and divine than has ever yet employed even the voice of angels. At the birth of nature, the sons of God, the angels, sang together and shouted for joy. But when the author and Lord of nature is born, let them raise a loftier and more ecstatic anthem of praise. Glory to God in the highest may also signify. Let glory be given to God in the highest heaven by all the choirs of angels. This celestial squadron call upon their fellow angels whom they left behind them in their native heaven to echo to their song and fill those blessed regions with the melody of a new ascription of praise as if they had said, though men received the benefit, let all the angels of heaven join in the song of gratitude. Though men be silent and refuse to celebrate the birth of their Savior and Lord, though earth does not echo with his praise, let the heavenly inhabitants sound aloud their ascriptions of glory and supply the guilty defect of ungrateful mortals. Or, finally, glory to God in the highest may mean 
Glory to God who dwells in the highest heavens. Glory to the high and lofty one that Isaiah 57, 15 says, inhabiteth eternity and dwelleth in the high and holy place. And that Job in the 25th chapter, the sixth verse tells us, yet condescends to regard man that is a worm and sends his son to assume his humble nature to lie in a manger and die upon a cross for him. Glory to God for this astonishing condescension and grace. Amen. The next article of this angelic song is peace on earth. Peace to rebel man with his offended sovereign. Peace with angels. Peace with conscience. Peace between man and man. Universal peace on earth. That region of discord and war. Peace with God to rebel man. Rebel man. Rebel man. The illustrious prince, now born, comes to make up the difference and reconcile the world to their offended sovereign. He is the great peacemaker who shall subdue the enmity of the carnal mind and reduce the revolted sons of Adam to a willing subjection to their rightful Lord. He will bring thousands of disloyal hearts to love God above all. He will reconcile them to the laws of his government and the practice of universal obedience and holiness. He will set on foot a treaty of peace in the ministry of the gospel and send out his ambassadors to beseech the rebels in his stead to be reconciled to God. He will also reconcile God to man by answering all the demands of his law and justice, paying the debts of insolvent sinners, and making amends for all their offenses. He will appear as an all-prevailing advocate with his father in favor of a rebel world and turn his heart to them again. Oh, happy peace. Oh, blessed peacemaker. One that puts an end to so fatal and unnatural a war and brings the creator and his creatures, the offended sovereign and his rebellious subjects into mutual friendship again after the grand breach that seemed likely never to be made up, and indeed never could be made up, but by so great and powerful a mediator, a mediator of infinite dignity, merit, and authority, able to remove all obstructions in the way of both parties. This proclamation of peace may also include peace with conscience. When man commenced an enemy to his maker, he became an enemy to himself. His own conscience took up arms against him and is perpetually fighting the cause of its Lord. But now, the guilt of past sin may be washed away from the conscience with the pacific blood of Jesus and all its clamor silenced by all his satisfying righteousness. His grace shall change disloyal hearts and reform rebellious lives, and those shall enjoy the approbation of their conscience who were wont to sweat and agonize under its tormenting accusations. Thus, self-tormenting sinners shall be reconciled to themselves, and peace in their own breasts shall be a perennial source of happiness. Expanding still farther, peace on earth includes peace between man and man. Now the Prince of Peace is born, and upon his appearance let animosity and discord 
contentions and wars cease, and let universal harmony and benevolence prevail through the world. Let the bonds of love unite all the sons of Adam together in the closest friendship. It was love that constrained him to put on the nature of man and to change his throne in heaven for a manger. Love is the ruling passion of his soul. Love is the doctrine he shall preach. Love is the disposition he shall inspire. And love is the first principle of his religion. Therefore, let all the world be melted and molded into love. Let the wolf and the lion put on the nature of the lamb, and let nothing hurt or destroy through all the earth. Let nation no more lift up sword against nation. Let them beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and let them learn war no more. This, my brethren, has already been accomplished in part. For peace and benevolence is the genius of Christianity, and wherever it has prevailed, it has introduced peace and harmony in families, in neighborhoods, and among nations. Nor can the present disturbed state of things, the animosities, the quarrels, and wars that are in the world, disprove what I say. For these prevail only so far as the Christian spirit does not prevail. Just as much as there is among men, just so much Christianity is wanting. However, we rejoice in the hope that our world shall yet see better times and experience the full effects of this illustrious birth. When the kingdom of the Prince of Peace shall become universal and diffuse peace among all nations. Oh, when shall that glorious revolution commence? The next article in the Song of Angels is goodwill towards men. That is, the goodwill and grace of God is now illustriously displayed towards men, sinful and unworthy as they are, and they may dutifully receive it and enjoy all the happy effects of it. Thus the angels declared, foretold, and wished. This suggests a question and also an answer to it. The question is, since the angels were not redeemed by Jesus Christ and do not share in the benefits of redemption as man does, why did they thus rejoice and sing at his birth? This we can account for from their regard to the glory of God and their goodwill to men. Their happiness consists in the knowledge and love of God, and the more he displays his perfections in his works, the more they know of him, and consequently the more they love him. Now the redemption of sinners through Jesus Christ gives the most upright and amiable view of the divine perfections, and on this account the inhabitants of heaven rejoice in it. They know more of God from this great event than from all his other works of creation and providence. Hence, St. Peter represents them as bending and looking with eager eyes to pry into this mystery. St. Paul also intimates that the founding of a church in our guilty world and the gathering of the poor outcast Gentiles into it was a secret even to the angels till revealed by the event, and that the revelation of it discovered to them more of the wisdom of God than they ever knew before. This, says he, was a mystery, which from the beginning of the world was hidden God. But it is now revealed, says Ephesians 3, 8 and 10, to the intent that into principalities and powers, to the various ranks of angels, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. 
This cleared up many of the dark events of providence which they could not before account for and enabled them to see farther into the designs of divine wisdom. Methinks when Abel, or the first saint from our world, arrived in heaven, the glorious natives of that country were struck with agreeable surprise and wondered how he came there. They were ready to give up the whole race for lost, like their kindred angels that fell, and could contrive no possible method for their recovery. And how then are these earth-born strangers admitted into heaven? And when they found, by the proceedings of divine providence, that God had gracious designs towards our world, and that these designs were to be accomplished by his Son, must they not be agreeably perplexed and bewildered to find out the manner in which he would accomplish them? In what way could he satisfy divine justice, who was himself the judge? How could he die for sin, who was all immortal? But now all is made plain. Now the grand secret is disclosed. The Son of God must become the Son of Man, must obey the law, and die upon the cross. And thus he was to accomplish the great design and restore a guilty man to the favor of God. Again, the angels are benevolent beings and therefore rejoice at the birth of Christ as tending to the salvation of poor sinners of the race of man. The Lord of angels tells us, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And how much more must they rejoice to see the grand scheme disclosed by which numerous colonies were to be transplanted from our guilty world to people the heavenly regions and perhaps fill the vacant seats of the fallen angels. I may add, it is not unlikely that the angels may receive some great advantages to us unknown by the mediation of Christ, though they do not need a mediator in the same sense that we do. But I have not time to enlarge upon this. I respect Pastor Griffith's request. You now see the reasons of the joy of angels on this occasion. And it is no wonder they sung glory to God in the highest, for peace proclaimed on earth and goodwill towards men. But how ought we to improve this subject more immediately for our own advantage? This is our great concern, for we are personally interested in it, which the angels were not, at least not to the same degree. Hence, then, we may learn how we ought to celebrate the birth of Christ, Celebrate it like angels, not with balls and assemblies, not with reveling and carousing and all the extravagances that are usual at this season, as if you were celebrating the birth of Venus or Bacchus or some patron of iniquity, not with the sound of bells, muskets and cannons and other demonstrations of joy upon occasions of a civil nature. Some of these are not innocent upon any occasion and have a direct tendency to make men still more thoughtless and giddy and to prevent the blessed effects of this illustrious birth. Others of them, though lawful upon seasons of public national joy for temporal blessings or deliverances, are yet impious and profane when practiced in honor of the incarnation of the holy Jesus. You will all grant, no doubt, that religious joy ought to be expressed in a religious manner that the usual mirth, festivity, and gaiety of a birth night, such as we celebrate in honor of our earthly sovereign, His Majesty King George II, are not indeed the proper expressions of joy 
for the birth of a spiritual savior, a savior from this vain world, a savior from sin and hell. Therefore, I say, celebrate it as the angels did, giving glory to God in the highest in your songs of praise, giving him glory by dwelling upon the wonders of redemption in delightful meditation, by giving him your thoughts and affections and by a life of devotion and universal obedience. Celebrate the birth of this great Prince of Peace by accepting that peace which angels proclaimed. Give a welcome reception to this glorious stranger. Do not turn him out of doors as the Bethlehemites did, but entertain him in your hearts. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. O let every heart cry as Laban did in Genesis 24. Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, Wherefore standest thou without? Jesus came to procure and restore peace between God and man. Therefore, I, his poor ambassador, echoing Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.20, pray you in his stead, be ye reconciled to God. No longer continue in arms, rejecting his authority, trampling upon his laws, and refusing the offers of his grace. Otherwise, this peace will not extend to you, but war, eternal war, will continue between you and the Lord God omnipotent. But if the boldest rebel among you this season submit to his government, you shall enjoy the blessed peace which angels proclaimed at his entrance into the world and which he left as a legacy to his friends when he was about to leave it. Make peace also with your own conscience and score to live at variance with yourselves. Let conscience have full liberty to exercise its authority upon you as Jehovah's deputy and dare not disobey its orders. Live in peace also with one another. Silence, you noisy brawlers. The prince of peace is born. Peace, be still, you contentious, angry passions. The prince of peace is born. Away, slander, backbiting, quarreling, envy, malice, revenge, Away to your native hell, for ye know not that the Prince of Peace has entered into this world and forbids you to appear upon it. Thus, brethren, celebrate the birth of the Savior, and that not only upon this season, but every season through all your lives. And thus you may have a Merry Christmas all the year round. In conclusion, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for to you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Do not your hearts spring within you at the news? I have somewhere heard of a crowd of criminals under condemnation confined in one dungeon, and upon a messenger's arriving from their king and proclaiming a pardon, they all rushed out so eagerly to receive the pardon and see the publisher of the joyful news that they trod and crushed one another to death. And shall there be no pressing and crowding to Jesus Christ in this assembly? Shall there be no such eagerness among us to receive a pardon from his hands? Alas, will any of you turn this greatest blessing of heaven, this greatest blessing, Will any of you turn it into a curse? Was it your destroyer that was born? 
when the angels sung the birth of a Savior? Indeed, if those of you who are not in Christ continue to neglect him, you will find him such to you, and it would have been better for you that neither you nor he had ever been born. Even the birth of the Prince of Peace proclaims eternal war against sinners. I therefore now pray you in his stead, be reconciled to him. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we do echo your servants, the angels, and give you all the praise and glory. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. Lord, we do pray that if there be any here that are rebels to you, our illustrious sovereign, that they would improve upon this word and that it would improve their hearts and that they would be reconciled to you and be saved. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.